Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football here for Underdog Dynasty. My name is Cyrus. Join with me for today's podcast, the P-O-D-C-U-S-A, is um, Jared and Tanner. Say what's up, guys. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, guys. Good, good. I'm ready to finally talk some football now that we have football here, especially after yesterday, the Sydney Cup down in Australia. Yeah, I was going to um, say, I'm, I'm ready to just make fun of Rice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a great showing from Rice. Um, if you didn't catch a recap yet up on Underdog Dynasty, I wrote something this morning. Uh, Rice got hammered 62-7. to um, Fortunately, I guess the only good news for Rice was that uh, they avoided the shutout, so they haven't been shut out since 2000, which is, I guess, the only good news to come from that game. Um, it was a really disappointing affair, guys. I was expecting a lot more to dive right into the Rice and Stanford recap. What did you guys think uh, from the game? I thought it's... Bailiff should have been fired in the locker room at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> it was miserable. I mean, they just like poorly coached, unprepared, pretty untalented, pretty small. I mean, granted, they're playing at Stanford, sure. But, I mean, they just did not look like they had any drive or hunger or even really had a basic grasp on what they were doing on defense especially. I mean, I wasn't expecting much, but that was just bad. That was that. <laughs> they look like an FCS team, you know. It was pathetic. pretty much. Uh, just... Yeah, they really did look like an FCS team. That was really sad to see, especially considering you know, for me, I always have the stipulation for any for any G five school in Texas, Florida, or California, you should never be awful. Mm-hmm. Like you should never be. I know that Rice has you know is really academic. Um, you know, forced as far as, uh, you know, what their primary motivation is. But they're in Houston. Like, they're in a hotbed of talent. They should never look like that, like how they looked yesterday. Yeah, they're smaller than Stanford, but they just didn't look like they had any talent as far as in the skill positions, coaching. Just really disappointed in Bailiff. And I've, I've always liked David Bailiff, but this was the, the first game where I really felt like Rice is probably better off without him going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, another thing that was... um that really stood out for me was just the offense, the the game plan. Glaceman really didn't even. I, I get that it was his first career start, and he was a you know redshirt freshman, so it, there's always going to be some jitters going there and there. But the game plan didn't even call for him to necessarily take advantage or try to exploit the the Stanford defense. It was just super conservative. Like it, it was as if they didn't want to give UTEP any game footage for for their contest the next mm-hmm. week because it was just running the same plays. I felt like um, it was just a really all around <laughs> for yeah. them. Oh, and I lost money because they didn't cover the spread, so I'm really pissed <laughs> off. <about it. laughs> oh, that's, that's your own fault. Come on, Cyrus. But, uh, <laughs> Thirty-one points. Come on now. 31, they I know. Thirty-one. Yeah. So the, the play calling on offense was definitely conservative, but I was surprised because the offense as a whole seemed more complex. They were doing a lot of pre-snap motions, like uh, they did like some some quick tosses and like option plays and stuff. And I felt like they kind of really threw a lot at Glazeman. I mean, I thought they would just run like a typical spread offense, like what he ran in practice last year and what he ran in high school. And they came out with something totally different. I mean, they threw some really weird looking stuff out there. Um, so I get they're trying to evolve the offense and move it forward, but I also thought it was a really tough position to put Glazeman in. The thing that really kind of um. You know, that that also said about with Glaceman and, and his backup really didn't even fare that much better, um, mm-hmm. Tyner. I, I don't know where, where Rice goes from here, you know. Um, 
they just seem like they're just not really talented. You know, that, yeah. that's what's sad. It's like there isn't really any answer because it just really doesn't seem like they're just a talented football team. Mm-hmm. Um, just an all-around disappointing effort. And I know that Stanford is a really, you know, a powerhouse in the Pac-12, a, a really well-respected program, but I really just expected a much better effort. It's hard to get disappointed when you expect the team to get blown out, but here we are. Like, I was just really disappointed with, with Rice's performance. Yeah, there's not going to be easy answers for Rice this year. I mean, they're just going to be a bad team. Um, going in, you know, going into that, last week we unfortunately couldn't do the Conference USA West preview, so we're just going to kind of mix and match as we go through the, the week zero, week one preview recap, so to speak. And how do you guys see Rice forecasting going into, you know, after the debacle down in Sydney <laughs> going forward? I mean, I... I Originally, I thought that maybe they could get three, four, or five wins and Bailiff would come back, but I'm seeing probably two wins, you know. I, I hate to overreact, but it just doesn't seem like a really talented football team down there in Houston. Yeah, before this game, I had them at two wins, and I can't see it getting any better after that. Maybe they can beat UTEP, and maybe they can beat UAB, but I don't really know who else they're going to beat on the schedule. Uh, I don't I don't have the schedule pulled up in front of me, but I think I had them at three wins before watching them against Stanford, and I would probably drop that to two or one after that game. Yeah, just rough, looking at the schedule going. now, they got UTEP, then Houston, FIU, Pittsburgh, oh. Army, oh, UTSA, then La Tech, UAB, Southern Miss, O'Dominion, and then North Texas to close the season. Yeah, it, it really could be one win. Um, I thought at least they would have an FCS team like they did last year, but... Um. Oh man, it, it really could be a really, really bad season down there. Yeah, I know. I know Rice fans don't want to hear it, but they really need to reevaluate how they schedule at a conference because they want to play all these big name teams, but they just can't compete right now. They need a couple gimmies on the schedule, mm-hmm. and they—that's not the way they're scheduling. I don't. I guess it's because they have pride about their history, and I get that. But you got to do better. You got to do better than this. Yeah, when you're not consistently going to bowl games, it's hard for your program to take the next step to a higher level. If they got to put Prairie View and Texas State on their roster to get to six wins, that's what they got to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even if you know, like, as far as out of conference goes, they can even put Texas State or you know, um, some other nearby local team, so to speak, in Louisiana mm-hmm. as far as five programs, rather than playing Stanford. Which I get the draw from an academic standpoint, where you know you want to put that, create that matchup, but Find another academic school out there if you want to do that. <laughs> Don't schedule Stanford, you know. That, that's just not a good look. And the fact that, Harvard, I guess, Harvard, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 Harvard. Harvard, Harvard would love we... to come down to Texas for recruiting purposes. <laughs> that would be a, a much more ideal draw for uh, mm-hmm. for Rice if they wanted to do that. But enough of talking about Rice. I, I'm ready to kickstart the Conference USA season in a good way, which I feel like mm-hmm. what can happen on Thursday, um, we're going to preview week one and go right into Butch Davis's debut as FIU goes to Orlando to take on the UCF Knights. Guys, I- I'm really looking forward to this game. Hopefully, um, I expect to be there. Uh, traffic is going to be a pain from where I'm located, but I'm really excited to see the Butch Davis's team and just the seniors and see what the FIU program is going to be like going forward. What are you guys thinking about the matchup? I'm definitely interested to see what's going to happen. Uh, I see, it's it's at UCF, right? Yep. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, they won last time they went up there, but then again, that was when UCF was terrible. But 
I'm really interested to see how Butch Davis is going to do in his debut. I think this is a, a decent measuring stick game for them. Uh, win a bull, maybe not. I don't know. It just depends on how good of a coach uh, he really is at this point in his career and what he can do with this talent. Because they've got some guys coming back, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, I think the spread is like 13 points in UCS favor or something like that. Um, something like that. Yeah, so I, I don't see FIU beating that spread, but I also think they'll put up a good fight and they'll play well enough to give uh, Panthers fans some hope, you know, for Butch Davis to rebuild, rebuild this program. Um, just like Tanner said, they are bringing back a lot of experience. And I know they're not like all conference caliber players, but there's still a good building block for Butch Davis to mold. Yeah, the the way how I see it is that they they you know they kind of come into this game playing with house money. Yeah. Uh, not many people expect for FIU to really burst onto the scene immediately under Davis. And UCF is already kind of a year ahead of them with Scott Frost. They got um, McKenzie Milton, who was a solid dual threat as a true, or I believe he was a true freshman last year. And now that he's in his second season, running um, Scott Frost's Oregon-oriented spread offense. Uh, you know, I feel like UCF is just, they're probably going to wear him down eventually. But being that, you know, I haven't, you know, personally, I'm not really all that impressed with Scott Frost. I know that he's been recruiting well. And I know UCF made a ton of gains. But I don't see this as a huge blowout, for, you know, um, as far as the point spread. I believe Jared said you got it right. It's about minus 11 in favor of UCF. Uh, what else do you guys see going forward that FIU can probably exploit and take to their advantage um, going into the game? Do you guys think that the Panthers can pull off the win? I think, I think gonna, there's a chance. But... Yeah, it's going to be hard to do on the road. Uh, I just feel like FIU is going to have a hard time matching UCF speed. But, uh, yeah, uh, I feel like UCF is going to win probably close. Uh, maybe about like, you know, seven to ten points somewhere in that range. Um, but I think that the fact that FIU does have a senior laden team, they won't get, be overmatched or, um, overwhelmed by the UCF crowd. You know, they, they've been through this before. They've won at UCF before. Granted, as Tanner said, it wasn't really that great of a team. Uh, I think it'll be a good game, but at the end, I think the Knights will pull away. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so going into the next game, the day after that, we have Charlotte at Eastern Michigan. Huge game for bowling, implications for both teams. Both teams, if they want to go bowling, they need this win. Um, after Charlotte's resurgent season last year. Well, first of all, can I just remark that it seems like Eastern Michigan's like an unofficial member of Conference USA. I mean, I feel like they've played <laughs> ODU and Charlotte like four times in the past two years combined, which is really weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. Anyways, though, I'm I'm pretty high on Charlotte this year, man. I think they're going to be like one of the surprise teams in the East. Um, you all know that I love Hassan Klug. I think he has as much potential as pretty much any quarterback in this conference. Um, but they do have to replace a lot. I think both of the running backs are gone. Um, obviously, Larry Ogun Joby is in the NFL now. Um, so they have a lot of question marks, but I like where the program's headed. Uh, they've recruited decently well. Like they're increasing their talent level. May, might not be like top of the conference flight talent yet, but you know they're making good strides. And um, if they can find a pass rush, I think they'll be in good shape. Tanner, what about you? How do you see that Charlotte going into this matchup? They haven't really done well on the road, so I'm not really all that confident that they can go there and get get a win. To be honest with you. Yeah, well, step, to be fair, to the factory, they've done, they've right? done... Oh yeah, the factory, the, factory. the gray field. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be 
to be fair, Charlotte's done better on the road than they've done at home. So yeah, let's very give true. Them that. Very true. Um, you know, it, they might be able to do it, but I just, especially if they couldn't do it at home, I'm not sure if they can do it on the road uh, this year. So I mean, unless Eastern Michigan was a one-hit wonder, because you know, two years ago Charlotte, if last year Charlotte plays two years ago Eastern Michigan, then maybe they could have won that game. But I don't know if Eastern Michigan's really gonna fall that far. So yeah, I, I'm I definitely just, I just see it. definitely not a MAC expert, but I do think Eastern Michigan graduated a lot of starters last year. Yeah, I, I think they have a. I think they have like a couple more returning than Charlotte does, though. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, All righty, so we. I mean, we, we're not forecasting a bunch of um, wins for Conference USA here early on. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte returns 12 starters and Eastern Michigan returns 14. So there you go. Okay, pretty close. Okay, so, the you know, probably the game of the week, definitely the most hype game of the week is going to be uh, Navy against FAU, going to be taking place on ESPNU, uh, really national showcase game for FAU and for Conference USA. Guys, I've, I'm still, even after I wrote the preview, I still don't know how to determine this game. I mean, FAU has had all offseason to prepare for Navy's option off, offense, but, you know, I'm just still really not confident that FAU's run defense is going to make that much gains to kind of slow down the midshipmen. Uh, Tanner, what do you see going into this matchup for FAU? I think Navy is a clear favorite. Um, I think we it's the same kind of thing with... Uh, with Butch Davis, though, we get to see how quickly Lane Kiffin can bring them up. Um, I will say this. Navy returns 13 starters. Florida Atlantic returns, like, everybody. So they return 18. So that is an advantage. Plus, they got all that talent they've been bringing in through transfers and going full last chance you on us. But we'll see how those guys <laughs> actually mesh together or if that's an issue or not. But, I mean, I th- it wouldn't surprise me a whole lot but I think it would definitely be a, a bit of an eyebrow raiser if Florida Atlantic could pull off the win. Um, and the one thing in their advantage is that they, like you said, they've had all offseason to prepare for the option. Because if you have to play Navy like in the middle of the season, that's that's rough. But if you have them at game week one, that's a little bit easier. Uh, it makes it a little easier. Um, I wish them luck, but Navy is a pretty good team. So, And Ken Diamatololo is one of the un- most underrated coaches, I think, in college football, so it's going to be tough for Lane Kiffin. Yeah, but you nailed the pronunciation on that too. That was really impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, personally, I, I think FAU is going to get smoked in this one. Um, they have a lot of like P5 transfers coming into the defensive line, but a lot of those guys have only been in the program for like a month, you know. Um, so it's going to take some time for them to gel together, and you know, your responsibility playing your assignment is so so important as a triple option. And, you know, Navy's going to take a step back this year, I think. I um, uh, believe Will North graduated, and they have Zach Abbey in. Am I right? Yes. That's Abbey right. should be the starter. Yeah. And yeah, so I'll, I'll say this about Abbey, because I saw them I saw them in Fort Worth against Tech. I saw them against Army. Um, he's not that bad. I mean, he took yeah. him a while to get going. He's just not an explosive, right? Yeah, he's got the one thing he's got to work on is passing because he had some really, really bad passes, but he had some good ones too. Mm-hmm. And that's like the problem with it. If he can get, because keep in mind he was thrown in at the last second, he started the season as a third string quarterback. Mm-hmm. But if he an off season to work on it, if he can get better at the passing and just more build his confidence, he can be a really good quarterback uh, for Navy. So it's just a matter of, and 
of can he pull it all together, but I think he'll be pretty good. Yeah, and FAU's offense seems like it's been really dysfunctional throughout fall camp. I mean, they lost their arguably their best player in Caleb Woods. Uh, got into a fight at a party, I believe. He's not back. Probably won't be back. And now they're just no, kind of... No, he's not going to be back. Yeah. Keeping it efficient. He's not coming back. Yeah, so no, no last chance for Caleb Woods, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's hard to see what the offense is going to look like. I mean, they want to run this Baylor offense with these super wide spreads, and I don't think any of the guys on the roster have the arm strength to really make those, like, sideline to sideline throws. You know, for me, the key to the game is going to be, you know, if FAU's offense can score, to be honest with you, that they definitely have the, the speed and talent to kind of outskill Navy, definitely mm-hmm. on the perimeter, I feel like, as far as with their backs. Um, you know, from watching the Louisiana Tech game last year, even though their athletes were much, much far more explosive, you know, they were really able to kill Navy on the edges. Um, with their vertical, or not vertical, um, horizontal passing game. Just like you said, Jared, I don't know if Johnson or Driscoll has the consistency with arm strength or even accuracy to, to get that done. Um, it, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, I, I'm already, I'm leaning towards Navy winning the game. Um, I'm not really all the way sure yet. Another factor that could be is that the home crowd is really packed, and if they really show up, perhaps the Owls can feed off that energy defensively mm-hmm. and confuse Navy and hopefully you know, get some momentum to, to get some stops. But I'm kind of leaning towards uh, the midshipmen kind of getting that win. I won't, I'm not going to say it's going to be a blowout. I hope not. I'm going to be there. Um, but I, I definitely see Navy coming away with at least you know, about 10 to 14-point win. Uh, they're just a uh, you know a better program and they got a better coaching staff too. I love Ken. You know, yep. Can it Nia? What is Nia Modelolo? There we go. <laughs> I was like, sub. We did the sub. All right. Transition. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to ask. Do you think uh, the defense is going to have the discipline to face the triple option with any kind of success, or are they just going to be undisciplined? Because that's the biggest thing. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily yeah, just you know assignment. skill. It's discipline when you're facing the option. Well, you know, it's funny because on Last Chance U, we saw, um, what's his name, uh, Tim Bonner, and those guys, they went up against the option and they oh, got yeah. killed. Like, the defensive <laughs> line was, just, like, destroyed. Yep. <laughs> and so <laughs> I have absolutely no faith that our defensive line is going to fare any better considering that I feel like that junior college had a bunch more t- uh, talented defensive linemen than ours. It's all going to be discipline, and that's what it's going to be. Um I, I see a high-scoring affair, but I don't think FAU is going to be able to score enough points to, to, to stay with TV, yeah, though. I agree. I, I think FAU will have, like, execution errors as well, kind of like unforced errors, you know, drop snaps, offsides, crap like that. And yeah, now that right. I'm looking at it, Navy returns eight defensive starters, so that could be mm. an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so transitioning, we have a bunch of Conference USA East teams playing early on. Um, Albany goes to the Old Dominion. Should be a kill. Um, Old Dominion should win that easily. Tune up, getting ready for. I believe they play North Carolina the next week. I think so. Um, they still haven't named the starter officially. I believe. I be- no, they got I, they I got be- they got at UMass before North Carolina. Cool. Oh, okay, at UMass before North Carolina. Um, if Blake Larusa is the starter going into the game, I'm really not sure how I feel about that because I definitely thought uh, Roy from Junior College was going to take it over, but um, you know this would. This should be a, a, a solid performance, just a tune-up game. Get away with no injuries. You know, it, it's rare that we see Conference USA teams start off with an FCS opener. So, I'm well, 
that Old Dominion can go ahead and get an easy win and smooth into the the season before taking off on yeah. uh, the Power Five opponent throughout the season. I think the schedule works out great for Old Dominion though, because they can play both quarterbacks against Albany and kind of give them a live game audition, and then whoever Absolutely. plays better gets the start against UMass, which is also another pretty manageable win. Completely agree. Absolutely, Tanner. You got any thoughts on the ODU Albany game? Hey, Old Dominion, how many points you want? Name it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about Albany. They could be like a really good team. I have no clue. No. I'll call up Wikipedia here. Okay. Keep talking. <laughs> I'd be completely disappointed if Old Dominion didn't handle business and take care of Albany. I believe they're the Great Danes, right? The Great Danes. Um, See, going Albany, into... went, Albany went seven and four last year. Okay. Um, yeah. They did beat Buffalo though, so Ooh. they did what beat an F- they beat an FPS team last year. Okay. So there is that. Damn, upset watch. Okay. Um, <laughs> they also, see, they, their losses were Richmond, which was in triple overtime, by the way, Maine, Villanova, and Delaware. Okay, it's not too so, bad. They're solid. They're solid not, they're not team. terrible. Yeah. I don't know. They, right. they didn't make the right. playoffs or anything, but, yeah. you know. Cool. Of course, okay. Buffalo and Ultimate are kind of not exactly the same thing, so. Well, no. I, th- I think we've exhausted our Albany football expertise in this podcast. <laughs> so I don't even know where to send you for, for more Albany information. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Transitioning to Miami of Ohio, going to Huntington to play Marshall. Uh, huge game for the herd mm-hmm. as far as setting the tone for the 2017 season. Yeah, I just recently, just recently learned it's a big rivalry game for them, too. Oh yeah, they were not like each other. I had no idea either. Dating back to their Mac days, I thought you know Marshall really dominated the Mac when they when they were there. So I had no idea there was a bunch of animosity towards Miami of Ohio. So this seems like a must-win game according to the fan base uh, in regards to Doc Holiday. Um, I guess the the big thing is you know more attrition for Marshall going into this week. Yeah. They just lost kicker and another receiver. Um, I can't pronounce his name. Uh, Karad, or I know it starts with a C. I, I can't pronounce it, the, the guy's last name. Um, Amaretto Kare, I think. Um, he was a starter last year, and I guess he's not there anymore. I don't know, man. I don't know. Miami went to a bowl game last year after mm-hmm. starting off the season 0-6 and then finishing with six straight wins before losing to Mississippi State in the St. Petersburg Bowl. Marshall should take care of business, but, I mean... It's Marshall. I, I don't. I don't know what to expect going into this game. This is a huge question mark for me. Yeah, no kidding. I'm, I'm definitely taking Miami in this game. You know, they came on strong last season, and until Marshall proves that they're a functioning football program, I'm gonna pick the opposite direction until they show they have their act cleaned up. Man, it's just it's it seems like such a mess over there, and no sign of getting better. I think that the Marshall fan base is probably gonna judge this year based off this game. If they win, yeah. they'll keep showing up. If they lose. See ya. Yep, they're, I, they're checking out. I agree for sure. Yeah, and I saw a practice report from Marshall, and evidently the first string offensive line is doing such a poor job with pass blocking. The uh, beat writer suggested the defense stop blitzing to give the quarterback an opportunity to practice throwing to his receivers. Wow. So that's, that's not not, good. not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. Um, I, I've been pretty high on the Miami transfers in Marshall from. Tyree Brady to Juwan Young, who's going to miss the game due to suspension, I believe, um, dating back to uh, his days with Miami. Uh, you know, it's it's all going to really depend on whether Marshall's 
has improved in the trenches. Apparently, from that practice report, they have not, at least from the offensive line standpoint. Um, you know, another thing that I, I think that Tanner, you brought up a good point. This is usually the Joan is a really vaunted, tough place to get a win type of stadium. Um, if Miami just goes in there and, you know, takes care of business pretty easily, or even come out with a win just in general, it just doesn't bode well for Marshall going forward. You know, this is a really huge game for them. They could, if they win this, then you can be optimistic and project the bowl game. If they lose this, then, you know, Conference USA is getting better. You can probably see three or four wins from them and Doc Holiday being out of there. Yep, no doubt about that. Yeah, I've got them I've got them winning that game and still only getting four wins. So mm-hmm. it's not may hopefully they can prove that last year was a fluke, but I gotta see it first. Right. Alright, so with Marshall we going over to their moonshine rivals, Eastern Kentucky going against Western Kentucky. Um Top should take care of business. Really, I just want to see what the offense looks like under Sanford. That's the the main thing that I'm curious about. Um, I know they have a few guys, I believe, suspended for the game. But being that, uh, I guess for the fan base from WKU's perspective, EKU is, um, you know, I guess a traditional rival, being that the directional Kentucky's. But I think the top should take care of business pretty easily. Yeah, I thought Eastern Kentucky was a talented program, but I just looked it up and they only won three games last year. So yeah. not too much to worry about there. Although, if Western Kentucky uh, doesn't put them away early, it might might change some narratives around the league. Yeah. Well, of course, they could just be saving some stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think we saw that from BYU yesterday. They kind of struggled with Portland State, but they were, like, not running anything out of their... anything besides base, offense, and defense. Yeah, I know Western Kentucky doesn't bring back much, but they they should easily handle Eastern Kentucky. And it it is... I like how the Eastern Kentucky fans a little while back on were getting after the Western Kentucky fans, <laughs> kind of talking some smack. But I'm just like, you're about to run into a freight train, so talk it up now. Yeah, whenever but, the the rumors came out about Eastern Kentucky trying to become like an FBS independent, I think I made like some snarky tweet, and Eastern Kentucky football Twitter was up in my mentions for like a whole day. So that was kind of shocking. <laughs> All righty, so going from another rival, Western Kentucky, Marshall to Middle Tennessee State hosting Vanderbilt. Huge game for me from the perspective of Conference USA and for the Blue Raiders. If they could, you know, they have kind of an outside shot for the New Year's Six bid. They definitely have a team, at least offensively, that's talented enough. Where do you guys see the biggest matchup going in for this game for the Blue Raiders? And they're hosting it, which is a great sign for Conference USA that group of five teams can host SEC teams. Definitely a team like Vanderbilt, which they should be able to get to come to their stadium. Can they stop? Ralph Webb. Can they stop that running back for Vanderbilt? If they can, they got a chance. If they can't, good night. Because that he killed them last game, last year. So that's mm-hmm. that's the question I have: is can they stop? Low, at least slow him down. At least they've got the offense to put up some points, but they got to stop that running game. And the defense was not good at all last year. So that's my question. Yeah, I think Middle Tennessee is going to need at least three defensive stops in this game, and I don't even know if they can get that many. I mean, we don't know what they're going to look like at all on defense. Um, I think they're pretty much replacing starters at every unit on the squad, and they have that Missouri transfer coming in on the defensive line, but he hasn't played in a year, so got to see what he looks like. Obviously, he's got sky-high potential uh, former all-freshman SEC defensive lineman, um, and I know their secondary is really weak as well. So if they can get a handful of stops, they'll be in good shape because we know they're going to score the ball, score some points. Um, 
but I have zero confidence in their defense right now. So so looking at yeah. it, they returned three linebackers that were starters, and they yeah. returned three defensive backs, but not a single defensive lineman yeah. that was a starter. Offensively, they've got the passing game should be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, didn't their uh, starting running back get hurt or something? I'm not sure. Camp? I, I know they had to replace some offensive linemen too. Okay. Well, well I think I think I heard one of their, their like lead running back got hurt in camp, but I don't, I'm not sure. Right. Yeah, they're gonna go with the running back committee by committee, I believe, in this game. Um, due to I, th- I believe his name is Terrence West. He got injured yeah. uh, the the last practice. So, uh, I think the you know the biggest advantage that Middle Tennessee State has is their wide receivers being, you know, as talented as they are. But Vanderbilt's secondary is really, really good. Um, They did a great job as far as limiting the explosive plays from Middle Tennessee State last year, and they returned just about everyone from their secondary. And a a bunch of those guys were uh, earned all SEC mentioned. So that's probably going to be really the key of the game. Middle Tennessee State has to score because their defense probably isn't going to stop Vanderbilt's rushing attack being that Ralph Webb really tore them up last year. Can Ty Lee and Richie James get open? That That's going to pretty much determine the game, whether Middle Tennessee State can keep this competitive. After the Middle Tennessee State game, we have Alabama A&M against UAB. Finally, the return Finally. is officially back in Birmingham. This coming up Saturday. Uh, what are you guys going to be looking out for specifically just in that game? UAB should take care of A&M. Um, so what are you guys looking specifically as far as signs of progress that UAB could be something more than just a, um, you know, a, a good story for the season? Yeah, I'm specifically going to be watching both lines. Uh, neither the offensive line nor the defensive line really impressed me in their spring game. And obviously it's hard to draw full conclusions from that since, you know, typically doing first team versus second team or uh, second team versus third team regardless. Um, I want to see that they can really enforce their will against a less talented opponent, uh, can push some bodies around, you know, and even if they do it against Alabama A&M, they might not do it against, you know, the FBS teams on their, on their schedule. Um, but I do want to see them play like, like a big boy program and, you know, show that they're better than just an FCS team, even though they're in their first year back. I'm kind of interested once if they can get like a, a big enough lead that they can put the backups in. I want to see how the backups do, see what kind of depth they might have. Right. Because that's going to be an, a big question mark going into the season is the depth. So if they can mm-hmm. show they have some depth, then that's a little bit more to be optimistic about. Yeah, I've been saying that all off season. I think you know their starters are fine at UAB. I think they have enough talent to compete. It's just what does that second string look like? You know, because they're going to have so many freshmen out there, so many JUCO transfers, and there's going to be a lot of question marks. Where do you guys see the the attendance for the game going to look like? What do you guys think? I think it'll be pretty good. Yeah. Um, Thirty five. I mean, they're not going to fill Legion like Field, but they'll, they'll they should get a pretty good crowd, especially with it being an in state opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't it, know how well Alabama travels, but I'm assuming it's not terrible. Isn't Alabama so, A&M in Birmingham? Is it? I don't know. I have no idea. Look that up. <laughs> On it. Who can Google fastest? Uh, but yeah, I think they'll get a good thirty to forty thousand attendance, and I think they that's, are that's in great. Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, I, I would like to see a really, really nice uh, stadium full of uh, Blazer fans supporting the UAB program for this year, but definitely for the opener. I think we mm-hmm. should definitely see at least twenty five thousand there strong, um, which would be great. Yeah, and the kids uh, deserve it too. I mean, especially the ones that stuck around even through. The, oh yeah. 
through the off years. For UAB, where do you guys see them as far as going forward into the season, projecting them? Uh, do you think they might have a good shot at you know getting six wins, or do you see kind of a rebuilding situation where they might be a year or two away to get their depth situated? I'm trying to find six. I've got them at uh, three. I, I have them at three as well. I could see four, maybe five, but six is, might be asking mm-hmm. a little much. Yeah, I agree for sure with Tanner. I think they're really going to slow down throughout the span of the year. You know, once injuries and fatigue start to set in, they're going to have to depend more on this freshman. And I'm not convinced they'll be ready for the task, you know, to go face Middle Tennessee or Western Kentucky or whoever you. Yeah, I'm seeing about four wins at the most. Um, they can definitely get past A&M, Ball State, Coastal maybe. They, Coastal Carolina was a really solid FCS program, so maybe Coastal. But then, I, you know, in conference play, I just don't see wins. Maybe Rice and UTEP, they both yeah. have those yeah. uh, those programs coming to Birmingham. But outside of that, I don't see six wins. But it should be, you know, everything is gravy this season for for the Blazers mm-hmm. with the Birmingham faith. Oh, they got the football program back. Anything extra as far as going to a bowl game would just be the cherry on top. Yeah, um, yep, 100%. That's the way how I Now, my question for maybe going forward is how many years do they, kind of like grace period, do they get before you have to start seeing some wins? How mm-hmm. long do you give them? Do you just give them this year? Do you give them the next two years? How long do you want to see actual wins before you start getting you know mad on Twitter? I think two years of that bowl eligibility is fine. I think that third year is when they need to at least hit six games. I agree with Jared. I think they're going to be as loyal to Bill Clark as they can, um, being that he stuck with them throughout this whole ordeal and right. didn't entertain any other offers. So I think they're going to definitely give him at least two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, might even just give him a third based off of whether he can you know, show definite progress or five or six wins. But I agree. Until that third year in 2019, um, there shouldn't be any pressure. As far as mm-hmm. getting to a bowl game, um, yeah, I agree now with fan, that. fan attendance may dip, but you know, I think the the UAB faithful, at least as far as the administration, they'll be fine uh, with that. From two, at least from two years away. All right, so going into the next game, we got UTEP, who I thought definitely for sure was going to be the worst program in coverage USA <laughs> for Rice play. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> they'll be going to Oklahoma. Um, don't like their chances at all. Uh, not at all. Uh, I'll be primarily looking forward to see if Mets and the Miners are um, offensively to see if they can make any progress as far as how they look without Aaron Jones. But I don't see how they, you know, get over 21, 28 points or keep this game competitive beyond the first quarter. I mean, maybe they can cover the spread with OU holding stuff back before playing Ohio State. Isn't that is that next week or is that week three? Which you know, I think that's weak. You know that we're a group of five podcasts because we have no idea what the big <laughs> right. <are. laughs> no, anyway, I mean that's really the only way I see them like keeping it anywhere within the ballpark of anything. Like I, I'm hoping it's not as bad as Rice Stanford, but I mean o- OU is the favorite in the Big Twelve again, mm-hmm. and they're ranked higher than Stanford, so. Yeah, we'll they see. do play um, Ohio State the following week. So, yeah, you're right. They might just kind of limit the playbook and not show much before going over there to Columbus. Jared, what about you? What do you think? Only valuable input I have here is that OU's new head coach, Lincoln Riley, looks younger than I do. 
Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to affect OU's players' perception of him and how hard they'll play for him, but man, does he look young. Um, well, I, but... think, I don't. I'm not really too concerned about them like buying into him because he no, he's, intern- he's been there. Already, right. So it's yeah. not like there's some random guy they pulled off the of right, right, right. street. But... Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think UTEP has no chance here. Uh, I think the most important thing is to get out without an injury to Mets, without an injury to Alvin Jones, and hopefully find some receivers to step up. I mean, that's been a huge issue for them the past two years. They don't really have a go-to guy. Um, so if they can find someone that can make some plays against a, a Power 5, uh, Blue Blood powerhouse, that would go a really long ways to uh, giving them a little bit of hope for their offense. Alrighty, so moving away from comfort or... Uh the UTEP-Oklahoma game, a game in which a conference USA really should, could possibly win again, is Southern Miss hosting Kentucky. Guys, I really, really like this game. I really like this matchup. I really loved Southern Miss last year, and before you know, things didn't look so bad, they kind of turned on the Jets and pulled away in the second half. This year, people are really high on Kentucky winning SEC, the SEC East. Um, I do not agree with that assessment, <laughs> but... Uh, where do you guys see if Southern Miss's chances going two for two and, and pulling away from Kentucky and beating the SEC again? Well, Kentucky brings back pretty much everybody. I mean, they've got 17 starters coming back. They got their quarterback coming back, and they're gonna want want a little bit of revenge, I think. Um, and Southern Miss had to make a comeback to a major one to win this game last time. So without Nick Mullins, I just I'm not as confident as you are about this one, even with it being in Hattiesburg. Yeah, I agree. I think their offense is going to be too one-dimensional, especially in the first game of the season, to really be able to hold off a Power 5 defense, even if it is Kentucky. And, I mean, beating an opponent twice in two years is always difficult, but whenever it's a Power 5 SEC program, it's even tougher. So, I know the game's at home, but I don't have a whole lot of faith um, in post-Nick Mullins' USM to pull this off. Um, You know, I I feel like just like with the Navy game and FAU, if the home crowd of Southern Miss can have a really great showing as far as fans coming up to the game and have that place rocking, I think Southern Miss has a really, really good chance of keeping mm-hmm. this close to this game tight. But I agree with you guys. You know, as far as we know, I believe Quadra Griggs is the um, leader for the job. I don't think they've named anyone yeah. just yet. I think it's a safe bet, though. You know, it's a question. Yeah, I think it's a safe bet, but I, I think. As far as now, you know, we don't know what it's like when he's going to play like when the lights are on, mm-hmm. when, you know, the stats are, the game is real, when it's live action. Yeah. Kentucky think... has a lot of speed at, as well, too, right. with um, at, at running back. And we know that Southern Miss had a huge problem with giving away explosive plays last year. So it's just a lot of question marks with Southern Miss mm-hmm. fan or the, the program right now, at least going into that game. Yeah, I think their best bet is just to muddy the game up and make it kind of a sloppy affair, you know, like a lot of turnovers and stuff like that, and just try to get Kentucky to play at a lower level than they're capable of and just make it a a nasty, ugly game. S&P Plus gives Southern Miss a 30% chance of pulling off the upset. Do you guys agree with that? Do you guys feel like it might be even lower? What what do you guys see? I I would say closer to 20%, honestly. Yeah, somewhere in that range. Yeah, okay. it's, it's probably an unpopular opinion, but I don't think Ido Smith and Alonzo Staggers are enough to carry this USM offense. I think they're going to need more help from the quarterback position. Um, and I mean, with a with a new quarterback, if they they might stack the box, take away the run game, and then make them make Southern Miss win with the passing game. And I I need to see them do it before I can right. believe it. Yeah, 
I, I think Riggs was redshirted for academic reasons last year, not for playing reasons. I'm not 100% yeah. sure on that. Is that correct? He was. Yeah. yeah so we, we just haven't seen the guy play. I don't know. I haven't even watched his Juco film, to be honest. Um, but I'm just assuming he's not a Nick Mullins 2.0. If he was, he'd already have the job. So Exactly. That's my yeah. thought. Yeah. Very true. Where do you guys see Southern Miss um, you know, forecasting them going into Conference USA this season? Do you guys feel like a bowl game was in, within reach again for Jay Hobson and, and the Golden Eagles this year? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I've got them at eight wins, but I feel like that might be a little generous. Mm-hmm. But um, I think they should be able to get to six. I mean, they, their next two games after Kentucky are Southern and ULM, so they're starting two and one at worst. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they lose either one of those games, hit the panic button. Hey, UL, uh, ULM's improving. And it is at ULM, but but it's still it's still no Southern Michigan that game. Yeah, no mm-hmm. way Southern Michigan that game. Um, I have them at around yeah, seven but... wins, but I, I'm not going to be surprised with anything that I see from that program this year. I mean, Nick Mullins was just the heartbeat of that team for four years. Um, you know, Jay Hobson was like decent his first year as a head coach, but not overwhelmingly great. So. I mean, to be fair, it's hard to judge a coach off his first year, but, mm-hmm. you know, when I feel like you just got to do a little bit better than that. I agree, especially with the talent they have. Right. True. I mean, he was put in a tough situation, but I, I think that many of us still picked a win conference today. Well, it's a funny year, but with Mullins going down, that kind of really threw things a bit haywire for them um, and yeah. the coaching staff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, yeah I mean, I completely agree with you guys. I think projecting seven wins is about right, but anything more than that would be a, a stretch for the Golden Eagles this year. Um, but going into the next game, we have Lamar going into the new Denton. Hashtag. Good job. Denton. Good one. Um, <laughs> we, we've used two hashtags already on this show. That's good. We're hip. <laughs> Uh, for North Texas and uh, Seth Luttrell's first or second season down in Denton. Uh, they still haven't named the starting quarterback, which is, again, a bit strange. Um, I don't like that at all. They should take care of Lamar. But going back to what Jared had alluded to earlier in the past, where, podcast where we might see both quarterbacks um, play, Mason Fine, and um, I can't pronounce the other guy's name, Sean or uh, Harborough. I think Quinn Shabor is the guy you're thinking of. Quinn Shabor, there we go. Um, we'll see. I mean, they should take care of Lamar pretty easily. Mm-hmm. All eyes are going to be on the quarterback, though. Yeah, and I think yeah. uh, e- even if they do see Fine as like the for sure one hundred percent starter for the whole season, I do think they're going to limit his snaps just to reduce the number of hits he's exposed to. You know, he's such a small guy had some injury problems last year. You know, I feel like last year we didn't really see Latrell in the in the air raid offense kind of open up a bit. They should really be able to, like going into year two, I would really want to see what the receiving core mm-hmm. and the quarterbacks are on the same page and whether they can really take advantage of the talent gap that they have with Lamar and kind of, you know, blow this thing open. Um, because, I'm, you know, that's why he was brought in, because of his air raid and air raid disciples. So that, that's what I'm really, really looking for in that matchup. Yeah, I think Jalen Guyton is going to be a guy to watch. He's a uh, six foot one, about two hundred pound receiver. I, I think he was originally at Notre Dame before he went JUCO and then ended up at UNT. Yeah, um, yeah, that guy mm-hmm. has the talent to be one of the best receivers in this league. Uh, my question though is, does UNT have a quarterback with the arm strength to vertically stretch the field and get him the ball, you know, thirty, forty yards down the field? Well, that's what's you know why I'm pretty concerned with North Texas this year because 
you know, Mason Fine started majority last year, and he didn't really look like he had the arm strength. And Quinn, he's been a career backup. You know, he hasn't really, under any head coach, he hasn't really, you know, impressed anyone to the length of earning playing time or at least substantial playing time. So, you know, it's just a question mark. Jeffrey Wilson is still back there, and I love him. He's one of my favorite running backs in Conference USA. Really explosive guys, so they have that to lean on. But it's going to be really, you know, their season's going to be determined on whether the air raid offense can come into its own and they'll be able to, you know, open it up a bit more rather than being a bit conservative like they were last year. Um, yeah. Tanner, how do you see North Texas forecasting them this season? Uh, I feel like North Texas, to me, it's the similar situation with Charlotte, where I think they'll be better, but everyone on their schedule is too. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how much better they're going to be. I'm predicting four and eight. I think they should be a bowl team. I just I'm wondering who those wins are going to come against. Uh, maybe SMU, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, I've I've got a meeting Lamar, UAB, UTEP, and Rice right now. Um, we'll see if they can find some other wins in there. Maybe Southern Miss. Like they did beat Southern Miss last year, but mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah, I really like UNT's defense a lot. They have a lot of good like team speed on their defense. They fly around, make plays, create turnovers. Uh, defensive line's a little shaky. They don't really have any, like, all-conference type guys there, in my opinion. Um, but they are disruptive enough to kind of be a threat, and I don't see them having the talent, uh, up and down the depth chart to really compete for a championship this year. But I do think they'll play the spoiler. Um, I picked them to beat UTSA. They have a bye week before that game. Uh, they're gonna want to get revenge against a rival and all that. And Seth is a great game planner. Uh, every game I've watched, he's really done a good job putting his guys in the best position to succeed haven't always done so and you know that's going to prove over time as recruiting hopefully improves um but i think unt is in pretty good shape as a program and i I see them getting to about six wins this year yeah i I see about five or six wins i think the key for north texas on the defensive side of ball is going to be their defensive line i believe bryce english is going to miss some time early in part of the season Mm -hmm. they were expecting him to do big things i believe he was a kansas state transfer going down there so it you know just, you know, with Conference USA, with a few teams in there that's in that middle, it's about separating from the pack, and it's going to be a lot of 50-50 toss-up games. Their season's really going to be dependent upon whether they can surpass Southern Miss and beat them again, take care of business and beat Rice, beat UTEP. You know, that, that's where they're. That's what's going to determine whether they'll be able to make a bowl game. I think they're a tier below mm-hmm. um, Tech and UTSA at the moment. After North Texas, two games just left on the Conference USA slate. To open the season, Northwestern State going to Ruston to take on La Tech. Um, should be a dominating affair for Tech. Again, I'm happy to see Conference USA team opening up with an FCS program to kind of ease into the season. Uh, I'm just going to be looking out for Jamar, really. that that's a, I just want to see him play. I, I, I was impressed with him last year, so I just want to see more of him. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, optimism about him. Uh, and I think you're going to see... A little bit, some more, especially early in the season, you're going to see a lot more of Jared Kraft and Boston Scott, because you're when you're breaking in a new quarterback and some new receivers, uh, it, it's going to take them a little bit. It might take them a little bit to get you know in sync with each other and really comfortable. I know they've been you know throwing to each other all off season, but I think you might see, especially early on, some a little bit more of the run game. And it's in a good position to do well with the run game because you've got two senior running backs coming back, thousand yard rusher with Kraft and then Boston Scott. Three returning stars in the offensive line, so I think the run game will do pretty well. Jamar Smith could run it himself, and then 
we'll sp- I do want to see how quickly the passing game progresses. Is it gonna? I, I, I'm not expecting what happened last year, but I do want to see what it looks like uh, early in the season. And it, it's gonna be another one of those situations. It might be where they try to disguise a few things because they got Mississippi State coming to rest in the next week. But uh, I think. The thing is, uh, you know, th- this is like Western Kentucky and Eastern Kentucky, where it was, used to be a rivalry before Tech moved up to the higher levels and all that. Um, but NSU beat Tech the last time they played a few years ago, and so NSU fans, from what I've been hearing, they're they're not they're saying some stuff, not a lot, but they're thinking deep down that they have a chance in this game. And <laughs> okay, the, the seniors now I don't think they do because their only win last year was against a Division two school, but um, the seniors that will be, you know, outside of like a transfer or something, the seniors uh, for this tech team, they were freshmen, and this that was their first game in the Joe was the last time they played. So these seniors are not going to take this one lightly, I don't think. Skip Holtz, no one's been saying anything about revenge, at least not for the team, but I'm sure the ones who remember that game definitely have uh, that on the mind. So it, this should be a really well-attended game as long as the, the weather cooperates and there's been some talk about the remnants of Harvey coming up this way but um, as long as the weather's decent I think we'll have a, a really good crowd it's pretty well sold out or getting there already but um, but yeah I think it's hopefully it should just be a warm-up game uh, like you would expect and then get ready for Mississippi State yeah number one thing I'm looking for is separation at the water receiver position I like the weapons that they have there Pretty much all the guys are unproven at this point, but they're very, very talented skill players. So I kind of want to see how the distribution breaks out with, you know, number of targets, uh, number of yards per catch, and something like that, just to see how uh, we kind of identify who's going to be the next Carlos Henderson or the next Trent Taylor. Yeah, all indications right now are that the two-lane transfer, Teddy Veal, is probably going to be the favorite target, but once mm-hmm. you get under the lights, you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. But how, how do you guys see LaTeX doing overall? I think all three of us might have picked LaTeX to win the conference. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. And that right. makes me nervous as hell. <laughs> right? That's like a 100% guarantee it's not going to happen, right? <laughs> Pretty much. But, yeah. No, but I, I think Tech, there's no game on the schedule that I don't think they can win. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the big test between a good season and a great season is going to be that mid-September stretch of Mississippi State at WKU and at South Carolina. Depending on how they perform there, I mean, even if they win every game after that, it, that's really the dividing line between, okay, yeah, another nine-win season, cool, or, wow, we actually did something really good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think the schedule sets up pretty nice. It's just, it's a rough September, but if you can get through that, I think that's a lot of confidence going through the rest of the season. Yeah, I picked Lock Tech to win the conference just because I feel like they have the fewest major question marks. I mean, we've seen enough of Jamar Smith to know that he's, you know, he looks the part of the quarterback and he's got big shoes to fill for like the past four seasons. <laughs> Law Tech have had great quarterbacks. Um, but I like where they're at on the defensive line. You know, they're lost a lot of playmakers out wide at wide receiver, but they've got good talent coming in. They've got two running backs returning who are phenomenal. So really a lot to like. And we'll see how the season plays out, but I have a lot of faith in Skip Holtz. Yeah, I really like LaTeX. I think Tanner is absolutely correct that that September stretch is going to make a difference between whether it's a good season or a special season in Tech because they definitely have the schedule where it sets them up really nicely to make a run at the New Year's Six bid. However, if they stumble and, you know, they could definitely fall to eight and four and, you know, winning Conference USA West again, and but 
if they do that and go eight and four and then win Conference USA West, then everything will, you know, depend on whether they can win the Conference USA championship game, which is, again, you know, we, we've said this many times on the site before. That's really the barometer for the season for Tech now. Like, they got to get over that hump. Either, um, either the championship or 10 wins, one of the two. Yeah. Yep, one of the two. One of the two. And, you know, probably the game of the week, depending on who you talk. I haven't made that my decision. I'm doing choosing Tusa <laughs> once again, oh, um, where I and pick uh, all the games in the conference USA for the second straight year. I'm, I think I'm leaning towards Houston and UTSA, and I really can't wait to watch this one. Based off of what Harvey's doing down there, the game might get pushed back to Sunday rather than having it take place on Saturday so the people down in Houston can make the trip to San Antonio to the, to attend the game and accommodate all the people who are involved in the situation down there in Texas. Hopefully everyone's safe. Um, I cannot wait for this game. It's, you know, UTSA fans have been talking a lot of smack on Twitter. Houston fans have been returning the smack talk. It's just the, there's a lot of storylines going on in this match. Um, Baron, being that you are going to be there, what is your, feeling your initial um i guess outlook for the game mm-hmm. yeah my gut has just been telling me non-stop that utsa is going to pull this one out um it's going to be an insane game and the atmosphere in the album dome is just going to be remarkable um expecting around 35 33,000 people there um lower levels almost completely sold out already and you know i just i, I feel like people are kind of giving houston the benefit of the doubt but their whole identity as a program has changed so much. Um, we saw how poor they looked down the stretch last season, you know, losing to SMU, um, and then getting blown out by San Diego State in the Las Vegas Bowl in Major Applewhite's first game as a head coach. So a lot of the swag, a lot of the uh, H-Town takeover has worn off on that program. And I think UTSA is really primed to do big things this year. So I'm really, really looking forward to this game, maybe more than any UTSA game in, in quite a while. And Hopefully, you know, it gets played on time and everyone can get to the game safely. Yeah, I think that both teams are really going to want this one because from UTSA, they want to start the season off right. They want to open the home games that right, but they also want to get that uh, that big win over Houston because I'm I'm telling you, we know Frank Wilson's a good recruiter. Mm-hmm. Let him tell some recruits, hey, we beat Houston. Right. Let him let him have that ability that mm-hmm. to hang on his wall. But then Houston, on the other hand, they want to get a little bit of redemption from last year. Some of the because they lost to SMU, they want to prove that hey, we're still the the, the G five team in Texas. Um, that's above all the rest. And plus, they want to make they want to make this Major Applewhite's real debut. And so they they want to make it a lot better than what happened last time. So it's I think you're gonna have two teams that really want it, uh, and should be a great game. Yeah, and on that's... that on that effect, don't forget there's a lot of Houston players that are still in the roster that were there in 2000. Yeah, fourteen. Exactly yeah, whenever UTSA <laughs> spoiled um, Houston's like you know, welcome to TDECU party and just smacked them around for four quarters. So it left a very sour taste in a lot of players' mouth. The big thing yeah. that I'll be looking for in the game is UTSA's offensive line. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really steady bunch, but they haven't really gone against the player of Ed Oliver's caliber. And being that we've seen Ed Oliver don- dominate, you know, Power Five offensive linemen, so to speak, and dominate AAC competition last year. It'll be really, really interesting to see if he goes into a sophomore slump or he picks mm-hmm. up right where he left, left off and, you know, dominates UTSA. He's really going to be the, the the huge difference maker because I like UTSA at at all the uh, skill positions going into, up against Houston's defense. 
except for offensive line, defensive line, mainly because of um, Oliver. So it should be a great game. I can't wait to watch it, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's just going to be a lot going on. It's going <laughs> to be fun, it's, man. It's going to be, yeah, yeah fantastic. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. So that'll be it. Uh, do you guys have any other things to say about week one um, other than Rice's trash? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we definitely covered that base pretty well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, if you can, if you guys could please give us reviews on iTunes, that'd be great. Um, we haven't gotten any new ones that I've seen at the moment. I know that we've just received some five star reviews. So, review us, rate us, follow us on Twitter at Underdog Dynasty. We break news before the other national media does, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um. Like us on Facebook. Uh, as far as what's coming up for the next few weeks or the next week, uh, I have a huge special story coming out in regards to Appalachian State, which I've been working on all summer, which I can't wait to share with you guys. Um, it's going to be the 10-year anniversary for them as far as their upset over Michigan, so I put together a special story for that. And then with Jared's preview for the Houston game, Tanner got La Tech on lock as far as coming up to the season. It's just you know, it's a great time that college football is back, and it's a great time to be around the site. I'm glad that everything is just falling into a place for the upcoming season. So follow us, like us, subscribe on iTunes at Underdog Dynasty with the Underdog Podcast, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.